You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Welcome to A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast, where we discuss hot topics in the sports landscape. Today, we have a special guest, Mr. Isaac Cahill, also known as a legend of Philadelphia. We are so happy to have you, Mr. Isaac Cahill. How are you? I feel great. How you feel this morning, Keisha? Well, I'm fantastic. And before I get into how great I feel, we're just going to open up and start with grateful moments. So, of course, I'll go first. (laughs) My grateful moment is track season has started. I'm excited because I love we transition from basketball Track season is starting, and I just get excited about sports and the fact that my kids are actually good. So I'm very grateful for handsome, athletic children. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, you want to go? It, it helps when you have great DNA. Um, yes. I am grateful that um, my wife um, wanted to, all she wanted for her birthday was to spend a weekend with me. And uh-huh. I'm grateful for that. After 20 years, she still likes me. Oh, and, wow. and on top of that, she afforded me to say, hey, you know what? You could take some time to do my passion, which is this podcast. So I'm grateful for that. Wow. I thank her. I love her. Not because she's in the room head in, uh, in front of me. She can hear all this. But I truly feel that way. I am truly blessed to find someone who, who loves the Lord and loves me. So I'm, I'm grateful for her. Amen. Oh, Amen. Mr. Neho, you give us your Hi. grateful moment. I, I feel the same way as Phil. I'm thankful that I have a good wife who supports and loves me. And uh, she she's just an amazing person. And when you sit back and reflect on things, I, I'm just truly blessed. And I just thank God the way the Lord has continued to bless me on my path and journey. Oh, that is so, look at y'all, just loving your wife and loving the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So, Mr. Cahill. Oh, I, don't forget me. Don't oh, my God. Me. I'm so sorry, no. Alan. I'm no, so sorry. Everyone, <laughs> look, here's a funny thing. I've been on so much. I had to get, I had to get, uh, a, adapt to always being on for some reason. But it's all good. But, I mean, I'm not married. But I am grateful for them Tar Heels last night to sing Coach oh. K packing. So... <laughs> I'm I'm definitely grateful for that. I'm coming with this energy. It's early, but that's all I got energy for. You know what I mean? I'm grateful for that. All right. Okay, that's the that's what we're going with the vibe. We got him packing. That's a shame. But it's March Madness. Things happen. Oh well. <clears throat> all right, back in. Let's get back into the interview. Mr. Cahill. Now, sir, I know that you. I know you personally, and not all of your information is Googleable. So not everybody was able to experience the greatness that was you, okay? Um, can you just tell me, when did you actually start playing basketball? Oh, God. When I actually started playing basketball was in my junior high school. Uh, I started playing in ninth grade when, of course, I was the last kid on the field, on the court. <laughs> And they say, hey, we need a tip. Get this guy. And I just remember going out there and only had one shot. And my shot was an underhand scoop shot. And then from that point on, I went to Ben Franklin. And after playing over the summer, 
I learned how to shoot a jump shot. Uh, my best friend taught me, Coleman Evans, uh, Fat Earl, he taught me. And once I got the gist of that, I was on my way. Um, I had a pretty good career. Then Franklin, we had a lot of stars. So no, I didn't get that much run. I, I did not get the run like I thought I should get. Because one, one thing people never tell you is that I was nuts. I was nuts. I was a typical North Philadelphia kid. I was a kid who didn't want to take direction, didn't want to listen, until finally uh, 1971. Uh, 71, I ran into a guy named Claude Gross and Pete Shields. Um, because everybody from North Philly swear they tough, and I was one of them. And that's when I was introduced to the Sunny Hill League. And those guys taught me how to be a young person, to love life, and also the ups and downs of life in general. And by sitting around those guys learning it, I learned to discipline myself to respect the sport of basketball because they always said basketball was a tool for life. And I didn't understand it at first, but that tool allowed uh, me to become disciplined, to go to college and to adapt to different situations. So, I thought from that point on, I flourished um, in the Sunny Hill League and the ground of Philadelphia. I used to just go on the playgrounds and I was the thinnest kid, so I had the attitude and I used to dunk on people because that was one of my famous skills. That's the only skill basically I had besides the jump shot. And all the guys were bigger. They were bigger, they were tougher and they used to push you and smack you. And one thing we learned from North Philadelphia is that you don't let anyone push you around. So I just developed the attitude and just started dunking on people. And when I started dunking on people, uh, people started backing off and then I started shooting a jump shot because I kept tired of being smacked in the face and punched in the gut. So that that's how, you know, I really started with basketball. And I enjoyed it, you know, the people you meet and just the path it takes you on in life. It shows you bigger and better things. So. And that's, I think that's awesome. Phil, did you have a question? Cause I was about to follow up with something real fast. You have a question, I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead, because, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, because I'm to, to play, to start so late, you know what I mean? Is what we know to be late because nowadays people have their kids in basketball, you know, starting at three and four years old, you know? Um, so that is really, I, I think that's really amazing that you could start so late and become so good in that short amount of time. Do you think that once you realized that basketball was a tool for you and you changed your attitude, that that made you... I guess, open to learn more and develop more quickly? Well, well, well we had no choice. Um, okay. When I say you had no choice, because yeah. one, the reason why I started late, because we didn't have camps. See, you know, all this stuff that y'all have, we didn't have. We had street. Either you played hopscotch, dead, played dead man, 
uh, hot bread and butter, you know, there was truly no organized sports until you went to the playground. Now, when you went to the playground, which is the 16th and Burks, you learned how to play baseball, you learned how to play basketball, and you learned how to swim. That was the only things that we knew, you know, and I call it the six block radius because the average kid don't travel no more than six blocks of his neighborhood. And at the time, there was a lot of gangs. There was a lot of things going on. But once I learned basketball and the playground that I went to at 16th and Burks, that was our safe haven. So we went there every day and constantly practiced, practiced, rain, wind, or snow. We was out there on the court. And a guy named Mr. Kenny Matt, who used to be the recreational leader, he, he allowed us to be in that place. In the wintertime, we stayed inside playing ping pong. Uh, besides going outside and chipping, chipping the basketball court of ice, you know, we, we constantly played. And I guess that's where my game took off at because all we did was play basketball. And that's the fun that we had. That's the only thing we learned. You know, now all of a sudden you have all these camps and kids have options. We didn't have options. So it, it, it's a good thing. It was wow. a good thing for us. So, uh, Mr. Isaac, it sounds yeah. amazing because it's similar because I grew up in Brooklyn and I'm the oldest one on the show. <laughs> so I, I, I resident a lot of your stories growing up. Um, not too many camps in Brooklyn, not too many camps um, in the 80s. Um, and just you were a multi-sport person, whatever was available. You're right. Six blocks with radiates. And if you're lucky, you play against other blocks to test your skills. So play street football, play, um, hopscotch, play, um, at the dead men is a manhunt. So, um, then baseball, which was at the time, probably popular because you, you made most money you heard, but you didn't get the skills or the training. So you just practice, play with your friends, watch TV, what was available on TV. And that's how you develop. But I think the best part about that is that you develop hand-eye coordination, playing ping pong, running from people back and forth, and that mean toughness. So you build all these other skill sets, which makes you, uh, if you decide to focus on that sport, and that's what I try to tell my wife and my, with my daughters, that mm -hmm. you play multiple sports to help develop different parts of your muscle, which uh, helps you in your, your favorite sports. But we see a lot of these specialization. What do you think about uh, specializations in sports now where kids are not able to, or uh, parents feel that, hey, you know what, I want to be a basketball player and they're just going to focus on basketball versus, you know, manhunt, having, a, uh, uh, in reality, our training was the streets, you know, hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about that? You, you know, um, I just feel as though just being around a lot of times the child ends up doing what the parent wants. It's not what the child wants because you can't force a square, a circle into a square hole. And what I mean by that is they have to really listen to their child and see what their interests are. You just, you know, through the years of coaching and everything, I call it the mom syndrome. The mom syndrome was, since there was no male in the house, okay? There's no male in the house. 
So they start raising that child according to what they feel as he could do, because a lot of times they had a big a big son, and they would bring the boy to us, and the kid was not coordinated. He couldn't run, he couldn't catch, and he couldn't move his feet. So she said, he's a good basketball player. He's a good basketball player. And I said, well, miss, perhaps you need to see what he wants. Well, he could shoot threes, but miss, anybody can shoot, but do they make it? And they used to get so angry at me. And I used to be like, Miss, perhaps you need to teach them how to jump rope. Perhaps you need to teach them how to do 40-yard uh, dashes just to run, get used to running and sprinting. And they get mad at me. Uh, he don't know who he's talking about. He don't know what he's talking about. So now you throw a kid into a situation and you said he's a basketball player, but this kid may not be coordinated to play basketball. So what that does to him is really hurt him. It also hurts his self-esteem because he can't keep up with the other kids. The other kids laugh at him. I mean, it's, in my, in, in, for me, it's, it creates a lot more issues when they start to say kids need to go in certain areas because kids, kids have a vast imagination and they want to do what they want to do. If you see your child, love basketball, if you see a child love baseball, track, or whatever it might be, then you allow them to do it. You can show them, but if they don't want to pick it up, a child not going to pick it up. I don't care how many times you take that kid to that camp or to that coach who say he's going to make a player out of you. The problem is, is that the parents have to see and understand that that guy's only out for money. You know, he'll treat your kid, he'll love him, pat him on the head and say, oh, go, go get him. But the problem is, bottom line, he's still getting paid and your child is not developing. And then you're going to realize after a few months or years that it was a bad investment. But it's too late. It's going to create other problems within that. It's going to be a lot more other problems if you don't listen to your kid and see if your kid truly enjoys it. That's what I that's what I found out for myself. I don't know if they answered the question, but <laughs> yeah, you 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 brought it together yeah. with the specializations and not just focusing on um, one one sport or one one type of game or whatever. But yeah, you you brought in the other variables that are important to your child's development. Yeah, good job, yeah. sir. Uh, thank you. Just, I just want parents to understand um, that listen to their kids. Yeah. Because I had to listen to my kids. And my son had mentioned, I don't want to be a football player. He was like maybe 10. He was telling me, I want to be a football player and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I said, okay. I said, well, it's the it's a Pee Wee League up the street. I'm going to get him ready. So we go out. We look at helmets, shoulder pads, we look at the pants, and then all of a sudden, the first day of practice, we go out to the field, and I'm ready to sign him up. I said, come on, son, let's go. As soon as we was getting ready to walk into the playground gate, he says, I don't want to play. And I said, but you told me all summer that you wanted to play. And he was like, I don't want to play now. Now, my question is, should I force him to play? No, because if you force him to play and he get hurt, 
But football is a contact sport. And if that kid is just standing around on the field when one of these other aggressive kids come at him, he's going to get hurt. And then it's going to fall back on me. Then I got to hear from the mother. Then I got to hear from the mother-in-law. Then you got to hear. So that's how come I say it's very important to read your child and see what your child likes. Just don't throw them in camps. Talk to your kids long before that camp even come up. You sit down and have a heart to heart when they're reading a book in their room, when they're sitting there fiddling with something, I think you need to go to your child and talk with them. You don't have to say, do you want to play sports? You just go talk to them. Like, what do you like that? What do you think about this? What do you always ask them what they think? Just don't put them in just because they have a spot open in some camp. <laughs> That's wise words. That's, thank you, sir. That's absolutely uh, true. And it saves you some money. That's the other thing. <laughs> yeah, I wish I spoke to Mr. Isaac years ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have three girls and my first one I forced and she was a pretty good basketball player. And then when she had an opportunity to play college basketball, she said, I retire. Good <laughs> girl. Good girl. Yeah. So my wife always tells me she knows the kids. She's like, don't be spending money. And, and I, yeah, so I'm sorry, Alan, your turn, sir. <laughs> so I know mm -hmm. a few Philly people mm -hmm. and the that Philly grit it isn't an emotion it's a lifestyle yeah now how does that lifestyle of that grittiness translate to the court oh god <laughs> yeah. let me explain something to you when you plan North Philly plays totally different from South Philly and West Philly, okay? We don't consider Mount Airy and Germantown a part of that because those, coming from North, West, and South, we always thought the guys of Germantown and Mount Airy was too soft. And the reason why, you know, now that I think about it, is because they had money. You know, they had money to, to do things. North Philly, South, and West, we was just, we was just there. And so everything we did, we had to play hard. And we couldn't cry. It was no such thing as crying. You know, if somebody smack you in the mouth on the court, first of all, you got to get them back, not going out throwing a punch. We didn't throw punches, only when necessary. But the thing was, you take it on the floor and you play hard. You play hard. If you get knocked down, you get up. You don't whine. You don't complain. You just get him next time. And the next time, it could be a good move. It could be a dunk. It, and we was just ABC. You know, we didn't have crossovers and stuff like that. We just played straight up and down basketball. We played hard and aggressive. And that's why it led to us on the floor because we had a no back down attitude. So that's why, that's why, you know, I can't understand the sport today. Because <laughs> now all of a sudden, you know, if you're trying to drive, people are literally getting out your way and it's no defense. And, you know, I was frustrated by, I was just frustrated when I went to see my grandson play at some tournament, some AAU tournament. And my God, they're not teaching the kids. It's a money pit. 
All they want to do is get the kids out there, get them a jersey, and let them run up and down the floor. I see no skill sets. I see nothing that you honestly could say that person know how to play. And I looked at my grandson, and my grandson was way advanced than these other players. But if you're not a favorite of that guy who's coaching the team, then your kid don't play. And that's what I saw. And that was my frustration. But being from Philly, you have to play hard and aggressive. It's just like every sport in Philly. If you're a boxer, you, you get out there and box. You know, if you're a baseball player, same thing. You play hard. You run hard. Everything is aggressive. And that's the way we were brought up. So that's how it translated. Uh, I guess according to income bracket, if you was in the poor areas, you're going to play hard because you know no one ever gave you a chance. And if you fall down and lose your chance, which is the basketball uh, hierarchy, that means if you're playing at the playground and then all of a sudden you get hit and you fall down and you start whining, then your peer group pushes you further down. Then the next time you go around, you do not get picked. Right. So we learn not to cry. We learn just to play through and do what you're supposed to do and move forward. Yes, because that's how basketball should be played. There's a lot of pansy ball going on, and I can't, I can't do, I can't take it. But <laughs> every if you look in any basketball circle with especially a bunch of just we'll talk about boys first. Everybody thinks they're going to the league. Like, that's the thing. Oh, I'm nice. I'm going to the league. Not understanding that, like, <laughs> maybe one out of 40 of you are going to the league because the percentages are so low. Can you talk about your experience from making that college to tryouts? Not even playing overseas, but the tryouts. Like, <laughs> it's not as, like, people think it's a cakewalk, or they just, because I can shoot so well, then I'm a shoe in. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience going from college to trying out for the NBA? Well, let me explain something to you. <laughs> you take me back to some of the most hurtful parts of my life. Um, first of all, first of all, you know, when I was having a good summer in high school, you know, I was, I was the bomb. You know, I could get you 30, 40 points. But the problem is, you have to study. And see, they didn't, they didn't explain that to me in the hood. All they tell you is that, man, they're going to take care of you if you play ball. They're going to take care of you if you play ball. Reality is, I went to this junior college in Iowa. In Iowa, I had a great time, you know, made it to class, did what I had to do. I didn't, I didn't start, but I came off the bench and averaged 12 points and stuff like that. But um, I transferred to Lincoln University in 1975. When I transferred to Lincoln University, that's when reality hit. And Reality hit by, I have to go to class. So I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't prepared for it because they didn't have any prep 
preparatory school. They didn't have anything for us to tell us we have to learn how to write. They didn't tell us stuff we had to listen and take our own notes. And Lincoln University was thrust upon me. And when I went there, you know, I had a good basketball career. But the problem is I didn't get a chance to touch the court because I couldn't make grades. And that's when I found out that, hey, no matter how well you are, you got to have knowledge. You have to learn how to prep for these things. And I sat on the bench, went to school, didn't do nothing, didn't do nothing. But I started studying more because basketball was taken from me. And when that was taken from me, now I had to create a brand new world for myself. And that was a struggle within itself. And because it was hard for me to go back to the neighborhood and tell them I was a failure. And plus, I had nobody to honestly direct me into the path that I needed to go to grow. And so I swallowed that bitter pill. I didn't say anything because I, I keep everything to myself. And the thing was, uh, a guy named Jay Norman over at Temple University, um, Jay took me in. And Jay had a heart to heart because even though I had a father, he wasn't with me to understand the true issues of what was going on. And Jay told me, I need to do this. I need to do that. You know, he hooked me up with the right people that was able to guide my path now that I was on it. So once I started improving the path, I got made the grade and I went back to Lincoln University. And I went back to Lincoln University and all of a sudden my taste for basketball changed. I didn't want to, I just wanted to get my books because basketball, you could be replaced just like a tire when it goes flat in basketball. And that reality hit. So it was a bunch of other issues that really, that really helped me to focus and to to get on the get on the right path. So finally, uh, the year I was supposed to graduate from Lincoln University in 78, um, there was a draft, the Baker League draft. I'll never forget the Baker League draft. And I was drafted back into the Sunny Hill League because Sunny Hill and Baker League was for the kids. I mean, Sunny Hill was for the kids. Baker League was for the men or the young men. And once I got into the Baker League, I had a better understanding about basketball. So I played hard, had some nice seasons, which afforded me an opportunity to trial for the Milwaukee Bucks. Whoa. Now, I'm a hot shot in the Baker League. You know, I'm, I'm killing everybody. But then reality set in because when I went to Milwaukee and I started playing. First of all, it was like 110 dudes in the gym. And I went there and I'm like, oh my God. So the guy pulled me out there. My number was 557. 557, come on out here. So I took the court. I was playing hard. At least I thought. At least I thought I was playing hard. I went in for this one drive. And I saw this, this guy standing there, some white boy. 
this kid was standing there. I said, I'm a dunk on him. And I drove, and I'll never forget. I jumped. I was at the, the peak of my jump. And I was going to throw down, but all of a sudden, his hand was in the way. And I'm like, what the devil? And he blocked it so hard, threw me to the floor. And I'll never forget the kid's name. The kid's name was Hank Simonkowski from Villanova. And I'm like, he wasn't supposed to do that. Well, anyway, I played the afternoon session because it was I got blocked in the morning. Afternoon session, it was like, all right, okay, yo, it's time for a break. And I remember, I think I'm cool to go get some water. So this little bald-headed white man came over. He called my number. He called three other guys' numbers. And it was like, what's going on? I said, I know I'm getting a spot. And he told me, he said, son, he said, You're, you got a forward game in a guard's body. And I'm saying, what? He said, well, you know what you need to do? You need to go to the Continental Basketball League and improve your skills and then come back. And I'm like, but I'm I, I supposed to go play after this afternoon. He's like, no, here's a bus ticket. Hey, hey, you know what? I got this sandwich and soda for you. And I was like, sandwich and soda? He gave me that sandwich and soda and a bus ticket. And he told somebody to take us to the bus, take us to the bus, the Greyhound bus station. And that broke my heart. And I was like, oh, man. But you know what? That taught me so many things. Even though you think you're good, it's always somebody better. And I ended up going home. And then I went back to uh, the Baker League, and I played that following summer. And then I got an offer, and I ended up in Vincent, uh, Valencia, Venezuela. And I played down there for about maybe 10 months to a year, which was pretty good. So then I came back, and then I started developing my family. That's what I did. And that was that was a tough one. But was the sandwich good? At least, yeah. was the sandwich good, and was the soda cold? Because I'm trying to think. <laughs> no. Oh. That is no. so heartbreaking to get on that bus with your sandwich and your soda. And ride for 11 hours. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that 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 is heartbreaking, but that's that's a that's, that's a wonderful story because it seems like that you it hurt at that moment, but it was a, a teachable lesson. Um, for the people out there, explain to them what's the Baker League and how's that? Um, is that more of the ABA in Philly, or I know prior to that the NBA, ABA, there was different leagues until the NBA tried to do mergers and trying to monopolize the sport worldwide. So just explain to the, the audience. Well, um, first of all, the Sunny Hill League and the Baker League, they were just a, a um, community involvement. That means guys from various communities got together and to keep kids off the street during the gang war era in Philadelphia. That's how they helped reach a lot of young men because by developing that basketball league, 
They thought they would keep us from high school right on up through the Baker League, which was for the young men, as we'd be developed enough and mature enough to get our own jobs and to become functional and to be able to just to grow as a male, to grow as a male. And I think that was very important for Philadelphia at the time. I wish they still had it, tell you the truth. Uh, Philadelphia was known for gun violence back then in the 70s. It was known for it. I mean, kids couldn't even walk walk through the corner store without a gang member approaching them, asking them for money, stabbing them, shooting them. So Sunny Hill, Sunny Hill and some other guys, they just had the notion to start this league. That's that they could reach a bunch of young men. And that's what they did. They, we had a lot of good men. And that's that's the problem with with our community, we don't have enough good men that's able to reach back anymore to help a young kid. Um, you know, now, and I understand, but the thing was back then we had men that would, would lay hands on you. And <laughs> that, you know, we weren't allowed to talk back. We weren't allowed to curse at adults. We weren't allowed to disrespect anyone. Reach it. And that that was the thing because I always say without fear there's no respect. And the thing is is that we feared those guys. They were men. They were men. They would tell you, they would correct you as soon as you say something. So therefore we had to follow suit. That means we can't beat them. We and they're not gonna let you disrespect them, so we just follow suit. And so Sunny Hills that's been around that long, just you know, helping young men. That's what it was. I mean, he tried to get it to the girls, but then a lady named Lurleen Jones took that over, and so they just split girls and boys. But but Bill, the thing was that uh, now there's there's nothing. There's nothing to help these kids. And they keep talking about the gun violence in Philadelphia, the gun violence around this uh, United States that no one's investing in children. Right. And, and the thing is, if you don't invest in them, then you leave them to govern themselves. And when they let the govern themselves, anything is possible. I mean, all the crazy stuff that, all the crazy things that I think about Phil is that I think about all the video games. And the video games are coming true because what was that device, whatever, where you snatch the people out the car yeah. and slap them, shoot at the cops, and all of this stuff is coming true. Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto, that's mm -hmm. what it was. And the kids are just living in the video game. They feel as though they could do anything. Carjackings are up, stopping in the middle of the street, pulling you out your car. I mean, where did they get that from? Okay. I, I don't know. I just I just feel as though adults need to teach their kids when they're small. Mm -hmm. And my father always told me, and I never thought it was worth anything, but he used to say. If you plant a tree when it's small, he said you could move that tree anywhere you want. 
He said, but once it take root, it's hard to move. And I understand that. You catch them when they're young, guide them and direct them with some sort of value, some sort of religion, or mm -hmm. something that they can take hold on mm -hmm. that will keep them from going astray. And, and I think that's what I see today. That's well, that's what you did a good job. You did a good job with that too, because after you played professionally and you started your family, you also were coaching and you are a great coach and you still are a great coach. The basketball knowledge that you have and the IQ that you have is like amazing. Like a lot of people don't usually make the transition from being a good basketball player to being a good coach, but you were absolutely, and you still are a good coach. And I know you coached uh, for the Baker League, right? Didn't you coach in the Baker League? Can you just drop some names of those that you coached who played in the NBA? Dick, come on, you have to, because we can verify it. No, uh, first of all. Please, Mr. Isaac, <laughs> indulge us. <laughs> well, I have, you know, over the years, uh, when I started dealing with the kids in the Baker League, in the, um, the Hill League, those guys were babies, and I'm talking about the one Kobe Bryant. I knew his, I knew his uh, father, Jellybean Bryant, who played at Bartram. I knew Kobe when Kobe was a baby. You know, I knew his sisters, I knew his cousins, and Kobe. Oh my God, I had uh, Aaron, Aaron McKee. I had Eddie Jones. I had Malik Rose. Oh my God, I had LeVan Austin. I, you know, Eddie Griffin, Rocky Wallace, you know, all of these guys that, that came through Philly, I dealt with and I enjoyed. And I know I'm missing a bunch of more of those guys because that was the only league that really, really you had in the city. And all of the famous kids, Alvin Williams, you had Mark Jackson, you had all of these little guys that I've seen grow up, that I've seen play in middle school, in high school, in college. You know, all of these guys are men now. And it's like, it, 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 it's a proud and good feeling to have to see the type of men that they've grown into. And it's a bunch of other kids that that um, that I can't think of right now that we had uh, from North Philadelphia. We had uh, we had Fritz. Well, Fritz was a guy, but I never knew that his name was James something. I don't even know. But Fritz come out. He he turned out to be he's an executive for uh, Verizon. You know, a couple of kids have their own companies. You, it, it, and it's like. It's just overwhelming to tell you the truth, Phil. It, it's overwhelming because I take things for granted because I'm like, ah, they, they just still so-and-so, but they grew up into young men who, who was actually deterred from the streets, who was actually, you know, trying to be productive members of society. And of course we roughed them up. We roughed them up. What I mean by that is that we, we talk to them stern. 
-hmm. We talk to them straight and we discipline. Not like discipline. Everybody thinks discipline is about beating, punching. No, discipline is like when you see a kid get out of pocket, just say, excuse me, let me talk to you. Mm -hmm. Let me talk, let me say something to you. And make him realize that he's not only projecting that that attitude and that energy in the wrong way, you helped him to show him a different way. Yeah. Where we didn't have those guys that, that showed us the different way. If we got out of pockets with adults when we were coming up, we had to get our butts kicked. But now we realize we can't, I realize I can go ahead and hit the kid. I'm not gonna hit someone else's kid, but the point is you can't talk to them. You pull them aside and say, look, man, look at all these people around the room. Look what you're projecting. Every, everybody's going to think that you are what you say you are. You're not ignorant. You're not stupid. You understand everything you're doing. So therefore, son, you need to correct it. Because it ain't going to hurt you now. It's going to hurt you 10 years from now when somebody remember this day. So that's how we, that's how we grab the kids. That's all. Thank you, sir. Good job, Mr. Kato. All right. <laughs> Thank you for your little piece of history. <laughs> it was great. Philadelphia basketball was one of the best. And the best of the memories that I have is New York, Philadelphia. Mm. And New York, Philadelphia, mm. that was funny. That's with Lynn Greer. Oh, my God. No. Lynn Greer, Freddie Ward. We all went to New York one year. And what was so funny was that we was at Rucker Park and I was trying to tell these kids, I was like, you have to understand the history of Rucker Park. Mm -hmm. And these little 16 to 17 year old guys talking about, oh, I know I'm good, I can do this. I said, <laughs> Rucker Park is different. It's not a rec center, son. I said, Rucker Park, they play ball and they play ball hard. Anyway, the Philly team thought they were so tough. They was like, Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to score 30 on these guys. No, they didn't. We went to Rucker Park. We got beat 140, 143 to 68. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> the, kids, the kids got shell shot because. Say again, were, Mr. Isaac, what's the score? This is for all my so New York. All New York, you hide. <laughs> all my New Yorkers. Oh, come God. on. <laughs> New York, New York dominated us, man. And the first play of the game was they had this little Spanish kid. And then they had this other kid was like maybe six, eight. The young kid came down. The guard came down. He shook and he threw the ball up towards the basket. The six, eight kid swung from the side of the basket poured it and dumped it. And that blew, that blew our minds. <laughs> I was going, yay. And the guys was like just standing around. And by that time, those guards stripped out guards. We couldn't even bring the ball up the floor. I was like, oh man. I said, <laughs> then I called the time. I, I asked my guys, I said, oh, do y'all really know what basketball is outside Philadelphia? They was like, yeah, we know. I said, try to get a basket. <laughs> <laughs> the funny part, I'm sorry, Alan, cut you off. But the funny part is you was, you were cheering on. People have to understand, Rocket Park, it's intimidating. You know why? Because the people are, it's, it's, a, it's a park where people yeah. are, it's not like, it's like a stadium, but we're in a park. People are 
all over and 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 they're right in your face so you do anything wrong the crowd will go against you the crowd will just watch a new york knicks game that kind of gives you what's going on (laughs) all right the knicks that we will root for winners right we don't care wait for winning and if if philadelphia have shown aggressive because new yorkers we're we're showboats and we play hard but we like to showboat a little bit you know, right so i know because i grew up there it, it, i didn't oh man i'm that's not my show <laughs> my thing. but i understand i understand i understand i'm okay. from brooklyn so i understand mr isaac go. Hey, hey, look, Phil, it was the it was the out of all my years of coaching and playing that was so amazing because that was the first time I experienced Rucker Park. I mean, I heard about it, I seen it. But when you enter that 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 basketball mecca right there, you, you either put up a shutter. That that's the way it was. And, and those guys, man, those guys were fantastic. I mean, fundamentally sound, passing, shooting, everything. They taught well. They taught well. But but the biggest thing about Rucker Park, yeah, I had a guy up there named Fly Williams. Fly Williams and Cersei, Dr. J, Tiny Nate. Oh, I'm going back before you. But those were the guys that came down from uh, New York to play us one year in Philly. And I'm going to tell you, that's when I got introduced to Dr. J. And I was like maybe, I was like 15 when Dr. J and Tiny came down in these tight little shorts, jean shorts, and they had the pro-cad sneakers on. And I'll never forget, once the ball tipped off, Tiny got it. And Tiny threw the ball almost three quarters of the length and Dr. J was there. And all they kept saying was Irving, Irving, Irving. Archibald, Irving. And then it was a guy named Fly Williams. Fly was crazy. Fly, hey man, he was the best player that I've seen besides Earl Monroe, who's from Philly. You know, but Fly Williams was a heck of a person. And Cersei can jump. Oh my God, man. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. So I got carried away because I'm thinking about I'm thinking about my my childhood, my teenage years, and seeing those guys who I tried to idolize. Because they were, they were Mr. Black community. You know, if you're from New York, if you're from Brooklyn, Bronx, or Bronx, that's another area. But uh, we dominate the Bronx. You know, we couldn't be Brooklyn, but we dominate the Bronx. <laughs> you can say it over and over again. I'm a Brooklynite. Dominate the Bronx. I know about yeah. the Bronx. Hold, yeah. Hide your wallets. <laughs> Get out your car. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but, but those were some of the places um, that I can remember, you know, just having my guys to see and just to experience. That's what kids. If if you want to be educated in, in life, it's not besides the besides the books. You have to go see different things and experience different parts of life, man. So, so that's what I thought, Phil, and I had a great time doing that. I did New York. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So earlier you were talking about how important important it is 
uh, for we have uh, black men giving back to that to the community, um, especially when it comes to the Baker League. How mm -hmm. easy was your decision from after trying out uh, for the Bucks, playing in Venezuela, and then deciding I'm gonna go into coaching? Like, was that just an easy, a easy decision to say I could still be around basketball um, by <laughs> just being a coach or even that's teaching? A, that's a that, that's a great that's a great question. Um, for me, it was easy because I always look at things. I believe in teaching because I don't want somebody else following the wrong path. And what I mean by that is in life, we're all gonna hit a brick wall. We all hit a brick wall in life, but it's how hard you hit that brick wall. Does it knock you down? Are you able to get back up? So I took that approach, and my thing is, I don't want to see these kids who are young and innocent and trying to find a way in life, I don't want them hitting that brick wall because some of their personalities and stuff, they may not recover. So I just went down, and that led me to talking, to coaching, to being around the kids. And when I did that, it was easy for me because I, I like working with people, number one. And number two is that I want to help people, not just talk to them. I want them to experience things. It's always about encouragement. It's always about willing to lend a helping hand to ones that are struggling. Not, not necessarily all the time that you need help when you fall, but sometimes you just need a hand to pull you over that hump. So it was easy for me to help those guys, to sit down, to eat a hot dog with them, to laugh and joke, and even, you know, play the dozens, talk about their mom and talk about their pop and, and just enjoy them. Because I try not to have, you know, guard stuff because kids are inquisitive. So you have to be able to have some sort of answer for those kids when they come to you. You can't always chew them off. You can't always make them quiet. You always got to be willing to open up and to give them some information. So for me, coaching in the Hill League and the Baker League, that was fun. That was really fun because, you know, I just love it. I didn't see it as a task. I didn't see it as a chore. I seen it as a part of life and enjoyed it. And besides the fellowship and the camaraderie that you have, it's, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. And then all of a sudden, you know, when things happen, um, I got saved. So that even gave me more of an incentive to do something. So I approached him with that. I wasn't a Bible thumper, but I did tell him, you know, when things get down, when, when things aren't going your way, uh, I just tell them what I do. And that's how I share it. I don't care if they're Muslim, Jewish, Baptist, or whatever. As long as they got some sort of spiritual guidance in life, that'll help them. That'll learn that they don't have to really depend on themselves. And when you depend on yourself, that means you become desperate. When you become desperate, you do stupid things. So I don't want them to do stupid 
things. So that's why I just talked to him and I helped him and I stayed around the football. Is that okay? That's perfect. Mr. Oh. Isaac, I know mm-hmm. um, Akisha is going to probably ask you about current basketball statement, but I have to ask this. Okay. And this is one of the questions we will ask. Who is your GOAT in basketball? <laughs> and you Besides see, no. Besides me, just pick we... somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> you better be my GOAT. <laughs> uh, wow. Hey, hey, hey. Phil. I've seen basketball since because the boy that used to be my goat that I always admired is not Dr. J, not Larry Bird, even though they were good players. The one that sticks out for me that they never talk about is Tiny Nate Archibald. Tiny Nate Archibald was the he was, he was, when he was with Cincinnati, the Royals, Tiny Nate led the lead in scoring and assists. I mean, they talk about the guy. Sure, he wasn't a somebody flashy and all this stuff, but Tiny was flashy. Tiny was a great fundamental basketball player who set his team up to run, to score, to do everything. And they never talk about Tiny. They never talk about time. They talk about, oh, well, now the younger generation, Aeon, Curry, and all this. But the real vote to me back then was Tiny Nate Archibald. And then came Doc, because Doc was in the ABA and he was dunking and all this stuff, which they just started allowing it, you know, in college. But the thing was, if you talk about a good fundamental basketball player, for me, my coach is Tiny Nate Archibald. I always respected him. I always admired him. And Tiny, Tiny could score. Tiny could do it. You know, but then all of a sudden, you know, Doc came along and then they felt as though they wanted to change it from Doc. And so they got the Jordan thing. So now all of a sudden, Jordan wins championships. Like, yeah, he's the goat. Okay, records are one thing. But as far as playing, I really don't know if Jordan was back there in that era with Tiny. Tiny would have ate Jordan up. I'm just, only my opinion. Only my opinion. Because Tiny was quick. He was left-handed. And he could shake you. He didn't have all this between-the-leg stuff, but Tiny used to come up to you and do a stutter step. It was the stutter step that you couldn't understand because it frees the defender and he's gone. So I would go with Tiny. You know, all these other guys, they have nice skills. Yeah, but they never talk about Tiny, you know. And that that pisses me off because, you know, they talk about, I guess, who the market promotes. You know, the Magic Johnsons and Larry Bird, he was good. Kevin McHale, you know, yeah, it was good basketball. So, but my goat for that era in the 70s is Tiny Nate. Tiny wow. Nate. Yeah, yeah. Everybody else is suspect. Everybody else. <laughs> Sound like a Philadelphian. <laughs> North Philadelphia <laughs> response. That's true. Everybody's suspect. You don't trust nobody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> 
That's funny. Cool. All right. So, so what is Keisha? I was I going to say anything. I was just going to ask you, like, who <laughs> out of your children, who is your favorite player? Don't play dad. Not today. We'll edit this. Part Wait, right how many now. children you have first, Mr. Isaac? <laughs> how many children you have? He has five. He so has five. Two of them play basketball. <laughs> and so one of them is on the show. And it, right, yes, I'm already in And it's a female on the show right now. Her, right. Name, is, her name is changed hey, to Harris. Yes. Hey, Phil, I'm trying to balance this thing. Don't worry, because we're going to have Antoine on here, too. Okay? <laughs> I'm not but, scared of him. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, they both had unique skills. Um, Antoine and Keisha. Um, my son Antoine, he was just, he's the prolific scorer. He was just too small and too thin, but he could score. He had quick steps. He could dunk on you, but he was just too small. And I understood that, but he could play. But my best, Kiba, look at him. You see a sit up, Phil? You see a sit up? Yeah, Keisha, Keisha learned, she learned uh, the hard way. And she's one, she's one type of player that I enjoy coaching and directing, strong directing. And I just remember when she, she was like in maybe sixth grade, I took her out to play basketball with me. And when she decided, to play, I told her, I said, let me explain something to you. Once you cross over those lines and you're in that, you got those four lines around you. I told her she had no friends. I don't care how long you know them. I don't care what you've done, but you have no friends and you got to play hard. And she kept that up through middle school and really had a great, she had a great high school career. And um, just a little tidbit, the first time I realized she was going to be good because it was no WNBA and all that other stuff. She was in this Drexel boys camp and she was the only, well, she was the only girl. And I just remember Keisha fighting with the boys. And what I mean by that, she was more aggressive. She had better inside position, but she couldn't score, but she would get you like 10, 12 rebounds. And I was just so amazed. And we would talk and we would laugh. And I told her, you know, she have to learn how to put the ball in the basket. She was like, daddy, I don't like to shoot. I said, yeah, but you gotta shoot. Um, but as she grew, we start putting little things on it. I start giving her little goals. And the little goals were, in the first quarter, I want her to have two field goals and two foul shots. And she constantly practiced on her foul shots and making layups. That was in 10th grade. 11th grade, she just took off. She started taking off. She started scoring. She started rebounding. She became a little force. And, um, she was my best player by far, Phil. Out of all my kids, she was the best all-around player. 
I know, I know that already because a girl, a daughter is something. I have three daughters and I don't have no sons, but so it's a joy to see your child play at at a level where exceed what you expect and to be a part of that. It's great. And she continued play for Rutgers, right? You play for Rutgers, Keisha? And you was a star there. And you had opportunity, oh, so I know star-ish. that. Star-ish. <laughs> I, I know, and Keisha, you're about what six foot, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. six foot. So you're taller than an average girl. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I see this, and I, I just fantasize that experience. I hopefully I get from my last child. <laughs> so yeah. you give me gold nuggets, and I'm gonna have a conversation. <laughs> she has a game today, which I'm I'm not gonna be able to see uh, AU. Uh, so I'm just, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just at awe. And I love seeing this moment, father and daughter. And hopefully I have that moment when I, you know, my children, you will, you, will. You, will, you know, as they get older, they get older. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I do have one question. Sure. And you and kinda, one last question. Yeah, you're last one. Yeah, you got to go. Um, what would you, oh, <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, what would you, well, how would you, how would you measure basketball throughout literally five decades you're seeing? How would you measure from your era, the Jordan era, and current era? Oh, God. And that's my question. You just take it off. All and, right. And that's the last question. Uh, no, for real? Hey, hey, Phil, those mm-hmm. areas, you, you constantly can see the change in basketball. And for me, the change went from physical to knowing your skills in the 70s to the 80s, late 80s, it was still physical with the Bullets. I mean, not not the Bullets, but with Detroit Pistons. Uh, Detroit Pistons was often, they were physical, you know? But then basketball started almost becoming like a show for one guy. And that guy was Michael Jordan. Even though you could be physical, but the guys now was more conditioned to learn how to pass the ball to the star. You had to give the ball to the star, which was Jordan. Just like Carmelo, Carmelo got the ball from John Stockton. Magic gave the ball to Worthy. You know, it became almost like a, a, a two-man game. You know, even though you had five guys on the floor, it became a two-man game. And then what really changed it, in my opinion, is the AI era. The AI era, along with what was that? What was that? Hip hop, uh, Skip to My Lou, and all of them guys came along. Hot sauce and them. They came along and they changed basketball because it then went from a five to a two. Now it's a one-man thing. Now it's about how well can you shake somebody? How can you trick somebody? How can you, you know, show the crowd that you were? Then AAU basketball came along that led up to this era of play now, which is everybody just watch one person. They don't know how to play team. They don't know how to really get involved. They never sharpen their skills to learn how to play fundamental basketball. They took, they, kids don't, in my opinion, kids don't know how to pass. They don't know how to shoot, but they shoot. And if a kid's gonna dunk, 
That's all they can do. It's no more teaming. I mean, even though they say it's the sport, but it's really, in my opinion, it's really no team. And I watched the, the NCAA yesterday and watching the guys, I get upset because all they doing is running the ring. It's no real picks. It's no real anything. If you get the ball to three-point line, you shoot. Uh, Kansas did it yesterday. They had a low post game, which was effective against Villanova. That was the most creative thing they've done. But the rest of the time that I see it, it's like up and down. However, watching the females play, I enjoy it. Because they go from A to B to C to D to E, and they're running constant motion. Yep, constant beautiful motion. fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they give them. And, and, and Phil, you enjoy the game. But, and you, at least I do. I enjoy the game because I love to see um, fundamental basketball players getting back to old time, you know, because that's when that sports was fun. And now all of a sudden watching these guys, I can't I can't stomach them, Phil, because I agree. they don't they don't have skill sets. Mm-mm. They can't dribble, they can't pass, and on and, and they say they're a great three-point shooter. If I shot the ball 27 times to make four, that's not a shooter. That's a that's a gun. And that's about 40%, and you're great. <laughs> So, so, so I, I just stick to the guards, and I think this era has gotten has gotten away from the fundamentals that I used to know. And it, uh, it, it hurts, it hurts mm-hmm. to see it, but this is what they're going for. That's why they're sending these kids to all these academies and camps to learn this style of play, hoping that they can go to the NBA. Yeah. And, and, and it's so crazy looking at the skill sets of college basketball players, these kids can't play. Right. And that's hurting this era. The, the era of the Jordan, the, the, the carry, which I call uh, yeah. AI, AI picks the ball up and then he throws it to the outside carry it. But, but they say I'm old fickled and so I just keep my mouth closed and I watch these guys, but for our skill sets, no. I don't like this era of basketball because they're too soft and they just, you know, they're not taught to deal with adversity. I just right. feel like they're mentally they're not strong. And, I agree. I definitely agree. You know, I, I just think, I, I don't know what the solution is, but basketball used to be an outlet for our energy. Now, all of a sudden, I don't know what it's become. I, I don't know anymore. And I'm just watching, hoping I'll be able to find some sort of solution to help the next kid, right. to help them to deal with certain things, Phil. But I definitely see the difference. I see a big difference in that. So, we definitely got to get you back on the show because I want to ask you about Doc Rivers and 76ers, but... We don't have time for that. No, we go. don't have time. <laughs> Look at that. Much. Do that again, Messiah. Like, yeah, I can't say he waved his hand and said, yeah, I wish sorry. Evans and, and, and um, Kelvin was here to, no, to, to see that. Yes, he yeah, trash. That's a shame. Like I will always say, Doc Rivers, nothing with Thibodeau. Thibodeau helped him. But see, that's just no, me. Don't get started. 
No, don't get started. Mm-mm. Don't feed in the field because he has to go. He's on a wonderful, loving staycation and he has to yeah. spend time with his wife before she starts throwing pillows across the screen. <laughs> oh my goodness. But thank you. I, I appreciate you, Dad, also known as Mr. Isaac Cahill. Thank you for such a rich um, interview and all of the wisdom that you shared and all of the history that you shared as well. I know that with people like you still in the earth with the knowledge that you carry, this next generation, like your grandson, will see a recovery of what basketball used to be. So thank you, sir. You're amazing. Yo, thank you for having me this morning. I hope y'all have a good day. You too. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. Please remember to follow us, like, share. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook handle is at a lady and that is the and sign, some dudes. Our handle on Instagram is a lady and some dudes. Everything is spelled out. So that's a lady, A and D, some dudes. Until next time.